Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. And this is our final pre-election podcast. By the next time you hear our voices, it'll be after the election. Although, for some of you listening to this late, it is after the election. Hello anyway. This will all be old news. Uh, joining me today are my two lovely co-hosts, Bailey Perkins-Wright. Hello, Bailey. Hello, Andy. And Dr. Scott Melson. Hello, Scott. What is up? You know, uh, rain. It is cold. It is rainy. We've had several seasons today in Oklahoma. It's not I'm bad. so excited. It's finally some good weather. Um, this is this I is was, uh, this is I my was weather. Outside man. when the rain hit, and that was less exciting. I had to. I there was a lot of. Uh, so I was moderating a panel at the OU Health Sciences Center for the um, Oklahoma Alliance for Healthy Families, but it was a lot of fun. But on my way, as is always the case on the Health Science Center campus my experience of working there for 10 years, construction inhibited my ability to walk from building to building. And so I had to go outside and then around a building because the entrance was under construction. And so right as I was doing that through the little, you know, like the construction hallway, like they, this is common in big cities where they do in high rise construction. It's like plywood around a fence and you walk along. It just a gully washer, like the skies opened up and it was just a torrential rainstorm. And I'm, of course, like in a suit. So I just had to uh, bide my time there in the cold for a few minutes while it passed. Thankfully, yeah. it did. Well, I had a situation that wasn't as fancy as yours. It was I was grabbing lunch and walked in to the place where it started sprinkling, grabbed my lunch. And when I return, it's pouring down. So it's cold. It's raining. And then where my where I parked from my, where I opened my car door, there's mud right there. So I was in a room with a patient and I heard it start pouring and then it stopped. <laughs> but ah. one of the three of us was dry. <laughs> ah. Well, uh, uh, since this is our last podcast before the elections, we'll be brief because I think at this point, we're, I mean, honestly, we're just prognosticating about what might happen and by next Tuesday we'll know right we'll find out and in our next episode we'll review on what happened so I I maybe today let's talk a little bit about most recent polling that came out and then we'll talk about just polling in general and how nobody has a goddamn idea about what's actually going to happen and then I don't know let's uh let's cast our lots and see what the three of us think the most likely scenarios might be and 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 how that will play out. How does that sound? That's, that sounds great. And I, you know, I just, uh, I, I thought I had a good handle on where I was going to go for this, but I just got some brand new information. Um, I was just uh, scrolling through my social media here and there's a, a post from uh, former Senator Yen and his campaign. And, and he says that the uh, quote unaffiliated polls, unaffiliated polls, those, uh, those show the race to be extremely close between him Governor Stitt and whoever Democrat Hoffmeister is. I don't. I'm not familiar with Democrat Hoffmeister. I know Joy Hoffmeister, but um, um. And so apparently, 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 the real polls, the unskewed polls, show that uh, that uh, former Senator Yen is is right there in the thick of things. So I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to reevaluate what I think about the governor's race in light of this new information. Sounds like he needs to write a book about how you go from single digits to tight race, right? Because that's a well, hurt. And he's he's trying to double down on like his 
Republican status that he abandoned to be an independent to try to, does he think he's going to take votes away from Hoffmeister? This sound, I'll tell you what this sounds like. This sounds like the Stitt campaign was like, bro, we need you to help out. Or, hmm. Yeah, I guess so. Like to try to draw back some of those Republican voters who would have voted for for Joy, but if but, they can vote for Yen instead. Well, no, he says he says don't let the fake push polls deter you from voting for me. Hoffmeister says a vote for me will keep Stitt in office. Stitt says a vote for me will put Hoffmeister in office. Both are false claims in an effort to scare voters into voting for them. The unaffiliated polls show this race to be extremely close between myself, Governor Stitt, and Democrat Hoffmeister. The Democrat Hoffmeister language is interesting. I think that then I, I I see your point, Andy. I think that that's less an attempt to get people to vote for the governor and, and more of an attempt for him to try and emphasize the fact that he's the independent in the race. I think that people... I think many people see the fact that Joy, you know, was a Republican for such a long time, held office as a Republican and the switch parties. I think there's a lot of like, and this is what I think the stick campaign is trying to do as well. Okay, well, Joy switched parties because she didn't want to run in the primary, but really she's a Republican, right? Like there's Democrats that think that. And so right. I think the I think the emphasis uh on Joy Hoffmeister and Joe Biden are, you know, basically secret lovers and like, you know, Democrat Hoffmeister. I think the I think this is I think this is the I think this is trying to get people don't vote for Joy Hoffmeister vote against her party, right? right. Um, well, so because- I see a point. So I think I think this particular instance is not so much trying to trying to emphasize her her democratness, so you'll vote for the governor. It's to emphasize her party affiliation, so you'll vote for an independent. Right. I mean, I mean strategically, I get that, right? Because. Let's say, and this is not going to happen, but let's say in general terms, if Joy gets every Democratic vote, she also needs a bunch of Republican and independent votes, right? I haven't done the math on like the vote share, but I'm sure that her party or her her campaign has. Stitt needs all the Republican votes he can get, and that's it. I mean, he, he can stand to lose some to her and still win the election, right, based on voter affiliation. Uh, because there's not that many libertarians, they'll go to Bruno. So then Yin, as the independent, is you know potentially like a spoiler in there. And if he can pull some of the Republicans that would have gone to Joy, but if he can pull those and keep them for him, then that means that her vote share goes down, but Stitt stays the same, and that would be good for Stitt, right? Like I understand as a Republican tactic it makes sense do you think it's actually going to happen though well and what if it doesn't pull the mm-hmm. moderate republicans right what if it pulls what if it pulls the people who may be frustrated altogether, or even let's say there may be conservative teachers or conservative tribal citizens who vote for yen over like it it really is just going to depend on election day itself like to your point scott i think this was an effort to try to define what it means to be independent because there really is no definition it's become a 
catch-all for people who may be frustrated with either party affiliation and doesn't feel quite a home. So I do think it is an attempt to figure out how to define independent. But if you're saying don't vote for the Democrat, does that even mean that those are going to be the people who are going to vote for joy in the first place? So it is, it's an interesting tactic, but I, for one, I saw a tweet by Kyle Hilbert that um, was stated so well that, you know, the polling says for this poll that Joy is in the lead. And then this poll says Kevin's in the lead. But at the end of the day, the only poll that matters is what happens between now and Tuesday at seven o'clock, right? And so it is really critical that no one leave it to chance that we have as many people get to the polls as possible because any scenario could take place. It could be a Joy Hoffmeister squeaks by. It could be a Kevin Stitt wins re-election. We just don't know because it really depends on what the voting base is going to look like. So kind of getting into the, getting into the, you know, just where, what is, what is, what is our best, our, our best assessment of the state of the race right now. So um, because we are not statisticians, I have tried to play one in the past um, looking at um, looking at the 538 polling average. So <clears throat> the 538 polling average as of today um, has Stitt plus 3.2. So uh, Governor Stitt polling at 47.6 with uh, Joy Hoffmeister polling at 44.4. Um, that is important for two reasons. One, it shows Governor Stitt ahead, but two, it shows Governor Stitt under 50%. Um, so um, those are two, two kind of important points there. If you look at 538's actual, their model and their, their prediction for the outcome of the race, um, they're predicting uh, Governor Stitt wins by about 10 points. 53-43 is their, is their projection, uh, projection for voting night. Interestingly, if you go through and look at all of the most recent polls uh, uh, of the governor's race, um, which is what I am doing right now, staring at a spreadsheet that has all the polls, um, there are three polls, three polls um, in the last you know six weeks or so that show Governor Stitt with a double digit lead. One is by American Viewpoint. That was from September 26th to 28th. That had Stitt plus 15. Um, there was another one from October 28th to American uh, uh, October 31st by WPA Intelligence that had Stitt plus 13. Um, one important thing that both of those polls have in common: they were commissioned, sponsored, and paid for by the Kevin Stitt campaign. <laughs> so those were polls that were commissioned by the governor, and uh, they show him with a massive, massive lead. However, there is one poll by Emerson College, which is an A, uh, an A-rated post, uh, an A-rated pollster. This was from October twenty-fifth to twenty-eighth. Um, it's the largest survey, so it was a thousand, uh, a thousand people, and it's Emerson College's likely voter model um, that showed Governor Stitt plus ten. So the Emerson College poll. Uh, from the 25th to 28th of October, which is the biggest and the pollster that at least has probably the best track record um, does show the governor up by 10 points, which is what 538 is projecting his victory to be. I, you know, this is, this is one of those, this is one of those deals, right? Like if you look at, if you look at the average of the, the average of the polls has, this is about a three point race. 
to me on the ground, this feels like about a three point race. Um, now I also live in Oklahoma County. Um, so that's, that's a bias, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I talked to, I talked to a couple of folks this week that have, um, that, that have kind of, that are in, in touch with the Hoffmeister campaign, um, and also in touch with the stick campaign. Um, from, from what I'm hearing, both campaigns, internal polling show the race essentially tied, um, which is why you saw, you know, Governor Stitt dump a million bucks into his campaign over the weekend. Um, it's why you see uh, 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 Superintendent Hoffmeister; she's doing her barnstorming tour of the state in the uh, in the in the Joy Bus or Bus of Joy, whatever they're calling it. Um, so I don't know; nothing, nothing will surprise me. A Kevin a Kevin Stitt win by double digits would, I mean, it would surprise me a little bit. I wouldn't be shocked. Um, a Hoffmeister win by three, four points wouldn't stun me. I think that's well within the possibility. I think the thing I'm going to be watching, there's two things I'm going to be watching for on election night. One, as rural <coughs> as rural precincts come in, is Governor Stitt winning the rural parts of the state by single digits or double digits? If he is winning the rural parts of the state by single by single digit margins, I think he could be in for a rough night. Um, I'm also looking for how much uh, Superintendent Hoffmeister carries Oklahoma County. I think it's, I, I, have, I have every reason to think she's going to carry Oklahoma County. I'm also looking at turnout in Oklahoma County. If turnout in Oklahoma County is is up from where it has been traditionally, and Governor Stitt um, is in the single digits uh, uh, in terms of margin in the in rural Oklahoma, to me, um, those are going to be signs that that uh, Superintendent Hoffmeister um could 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 have put this thing away. Well, and Scott, you mentioned the polling data and, and, and the trends that the polls were saying, but those polls were also taken before um, there were some important endorsements that came out. Um, J.C. Watts, for instance, who is a notable Oklahoman who is well respected by um, many conservatives um, has such a history uh, with the Republican Party, not just in Oklahoma, but even nationally, right? Um, for him to come out directly and support Joy Hoffmeister, to me, could be a game changer, especially for those Republicans who have been historically Republican, that have been on the fence, to be either thinking about their decision or deciding not to even vote in that race, right? Um, same thing with Michael Thompson. He had a tweet that basically could be um, perceived as an endorsement um, who is a person who led the National Guard, right? So as we're continuing to go on over these next few days, there's so many factors that could lead to, to Scott's point, that 3% for joy or tipping the other way for um, Kevin Stitt, right? Um, I do think it's important to mention, Bailey, you mentioned uh, Congressman Watts' distinguished career as a uh, Republican politician here in Oklahoma, as a member of Congress. However, you neglected to mention his most important uh, part of his resume, which is as quarterback of the Oklahoma Sooners from 1979-1980 with consecutive Orange Bowl victories. So, um, I would say that's not even the most important part. <laughs> I mean, what people forget is he he's the first black person in the state to achieve a statewide office. Yeah. He's the only an elected statewide office. Let me be clear, not sit in a statewide office, but being elected to 
from the Corporation Commission. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's known for not only the football, but like just the political history. So it is a big deal for some of these endorsements to come out a week before the election. And you mentioned how well respected he is among conservatives. And and you are, of course, right. I I'm I jest when I say that his football accomplishments are the most important line on his resume. But um, I, I think for a number of reasons, um, his I, 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 I think that I think Congressman Watts is is widely respected in Oklahoma on both sides of the aisle. You know, we we and endorsements, I think, are often one of those things that get a lot of press, but don't really move the needle. Um, when he came out with that this week that he was that he was endorsing uh, Joy Hoffmeister, I actually I think I texted Andy when I saw that and I was like, you know what? This, this is a big deal. This is this is an endorsement that might actually move some people. And, you know, it, it reminds me of the 2020 election, right, when you saw Michael Steele and other prominent Republican leaders coming out in support of Joe Biden. I think that's what helped tip the election for Joe Biden was having enough Republican support because of the way that he was positioning himself as a moderate leader who wanted to bring us back to civility, right? That was the big push for his campaign. And Joy Hoffmeister has modeled that playbook at the state level. And it seems like it is effective to get some of those key conservative um, leaders, right, to be able to, to speak out. So that's why, it, to me, it's hard to even say what election day is going to look like and how to predict, because it really is going to depend on not only just turnout, but like, we talked about this in the past, like, are, are there going to be people who skip over the governor's race? Right. Because I feel like there's going to be differences. I'm going to be looking at how many people vote in each election. I think that Gina Nelson could be the next state superintendent of public instruction because it seems like Ryan Walters is doubling down <laughs> when it comes to the rhetoric that Oklahoma educators and others aren't looking for in a state superintendent. Right. So I don't know if that rhetoric is going to match up for that race because the polling data, um, as Scott was talking about, also shows Gina ahead still in those races. So um, and it helps at also to, to Scott's point about watching for what the votes are going to be in some of the urban areas. There are a number of competitive races that are taking place right now from. Um, the DA's race that's going to be critical in Oklahoma County. Um, there's a number of um, House and Senate seats where members have resigned their seats that are going to be open seats that are going to draw a lot of turnout, right? And so I think those down ballots, there's going to be a um, mutual relationship up and down ballot that's going to be able to draw greater turnout in these areas so yeah i'll um <clears throat> i will link in the show notes to an article on 538.com um, from yesterday or the day before 
Scott, I think you actually are the one that sent it to me, but it, it's from uh, Nathaniel Rakich, and it basically describes what we all know to be true, right? That polls are not certainty. And they're moments in time. There are moments in time, things shift. Using some kind of polling average is helpful. And, and 538 has a polling average for the governor's race for Oklahoma and every other state. Um, but even with that, because in a state like Oklahoma, this race is so close, right? So competitive that we, you know, we can anticipate that there, I don't know, could be, likely will be, I'm not sure, a, a polling error but it is impossible to predict which way, right? In 2016 and 2020, polls nationwide underestimated Republican support. And the article kind of goes on to say, like, is that going to be the same this year? Who knows, right? They could have, pollsters could have overcompensated. Um, pollsters could have compensated just enough. Like, we'll find out on election day. But because here in Oklahoma, some of these races are so close, just like nationally, right? The balance of the Senate is so close and arguably the balance of the House is close enough that if the polling error is in Republicans' favor, it, it really is a red wave, right? Like they take both chambers in Congress, they win the governorship, Walters wins, all that stuff here, most likely, right? If it's, but if the polling error is the other direction, if it's in Democrats' favor, essentially, well, if the, if the outcome is in Democrats' favor, I guess the polling error would be the opposite way. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. If it goes the other way, then nationally Democrats would gain seats in the Senate, um, potentially even gain a couple, I think, in the House, retain the House and gain a few seats. And then here locally in Oklahoma, I think we would see then, you know, if, if, if it plays out the same here, it would nationally... Um, Joy would win, Gina would win, you know, Vicky Bahena would win. And then I don't know that there are any competitive seats that are competitive enough. Um, maybe in Tulsa, right? Suzanne Schreiber uh, is running for the seat that was Carol Bush's seat. Carol Bush was a Republican. Suzanne's a Democrat. I forget the Republican in that race, but it's a pretty close, it's a kind of one of those purplish districts, right? So I think those things would would trend towards Democrats. There, there's no scenario, though, just to be clear, where Democrats like flip the Oklahoma state legislature. Like that's just not the way that that voter turnout is going to look. At that's that's not in the cards this year. No, but I think it, it you know, to kind of help um, put our state in context of what's happening nationally is somewhat helpful. I do want to just ask, Bailey. I know you've got to hop off in just a minute, but. Um, I think we should all just give our guess, if you feel comfortable, on what per, what percentage of the vote you think Governor Stitt will receive on election day, right? Like on, on after this election. Now, there's a, a definite scenario where both he and Joy get less than 50%, right? And the winner has less than 50%. If if Senator um, Yen or Natalie Bruno, if they pull enough votes, um, so that's a possibility. But what do you guys think? Like, do you think he's going to win with fifty three percent? Do you think he would win with forty nine? Think he would lose with forty eight point eight? I mean, there's a lot of kind of wiggle room here in some kind of close election. What I'm hopeful about is the rate of early voting that's taking place. There are a lot of ballots coming in 
for mail-in ballots. Um, and then there's a lot of people early voting. Like this is the first time ever in Oklahoma's history that we've had four days of early vote, right? So I voted today, voting actually, yeah. This year, starting on Wednesday. Um, so we'll see what type of impact, right? Adding that extra day for voters to be able to cast their ballot will have. And we're seeing the largest early voting trends happen in those urban areas. So I, should the governor lose? It's going to be probably by a percentage point, if that. Mm -hmm. I don't suspect that it's going to be a wide gap, even 3%. I bet it's going to be a 50% plus one situation or, you know, just 0.5% higher um, should that scenario take place. If the yep. governor is to win, I do think it'll be about a 4 to 5% difference. Interesting. Okay. That's what I think you um, articulated that really well, Bailey, right? Like if he wins, it'll be a decent win. I mean, not like a huge win, but like by several points, but if he loses, he'll just lose narrowly. That's an important, important distinction. That's fair. Yeah. Scott, what about you? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think, you know, if you're asking me what I think is going to happen, uh, I, I don't know. I, I think it is going to be a close race. Um, I I think that I, I I have a hard time seeing. I mean, Bailey's right. Like he there, he certainly could win by five or eight or ten points. That's that's possible. I don't really think that's going to happen. I think this is a race that's going to be a race that's going to be decided two between two in two or three points in either direction. Um, if I had to, gosh, I mean, if I was if I was putting money on it, um, I would I would bet that he ekes it out. I don't see him getting over 50%. Um, I think I think whoever wins, they're going to win with a, plur a plurality. So, you know, I could certainly see, I could see it 48, 46 joy. I could see it 49, you know, 49, 45 stit with Bruno and Yen getting a couple, a couple points here and there. Um, but I think whichever way it goes, I think it is going to be close. I think it's going to be a, you know, kind of in that, you know, two to three, two to three point range, but I could be wrong. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I really am curious. Um, you know, the, the fact that, uh, that poll that came out this week from WPA, um, which is, I, I that's Ted Cruz's polling firm. Yeah. It's, it's Ted, also the it's, governor's right. Of yeah. The that's, intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> the fact that they had him up pretty substantially, but even in that, they like it said like let him winning Gen Z by like nine points, and it's like come on, that's not that's not right. happening. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, so I, I, yeah, I think, and the fact again, I I am confident <laughs> in in the information I've got, which is that the internals of both campaigns, um, the internals show a very very tight race. Um, and so I think that's what we're going to see on election night, you know, and to, to your, to your point and, and to, to Bailey's, you know, is, is, is a, is a democratic trifecta in terms of these, you know, local races. Is that, um, is that, is that less likely? Yes. I think, I think a scenario in which, you know, Hoffmeister and Nelson and Behenna all win their races is not likely but it is absolutely possible and would not shock me. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I, and, I and I'll say this: I expect I'll, I'll go. I, I expect at least one of them to win. I think that's a. I think that's fair. Um, I hmm, I had to guess who I would guess. Ahenna, just because it's only Oklahoma County, but we'll see. This is one of those races too where I'm I'm almost interested to start digging into precinct level data. Maybe we can mm-hmm. do that in the coming weeks. Um, but I was uh, poking around on Dave's redistricting app earlier today and like looking at results from past elections and looking down at precinct level and particularly in parts of the state where I kind of know the lay of the land a little bit from either living around there or traveling there and or having friends that are from there and kind of studying it. And so it, it was really interesting to to kind of reflect on the last couple of elections and also on on Dave's redistricting. They've added a new feature where you can color you can like color it by precinct, by um, shift, right? So like from R to D or D to R, whatever, like partisan shift, and you can choose the elections, right? So like you can look at which precincts shifted more democratic in 2020 versus 2016, for example, right? So like that's interesting in Oklahoma of which precincts are shifted more democratic um, in Trump's re-election campaign, right? Some of them got redder, but a lot of them got a lot bluer. And so it was just those little nuanced data where I was like, oh, this is interesting. I mean, in the aggregate, as we kind of expect, like metro areas, Oklahoma City and Tulsa, as well as those micro metro areas like Ardmore and Enid and Lawton, those places, you know, the, the kind of urban core of those, uh, to the extent that they could be called urban, um, the core of those tends to be more democratic than Republican, which is really fascinating. Um, well, we'll find out. Uh, Scott, what's happening on election night? Uh, I'll, I'll tell you where I'm going to be. I'm going to be at the Tower Theater. Um, on, I'm going to be at Tower Theater on the stage with you and a band uh, and some great guests for the election night show. Uh, we did this four years ago. It was an absolute blast. Uh, we had uh, several hundred people there. We watched the returns come in. Um, had some good food, some good drinks, some good music. It was a, a good time was had by all. Uh, and I expect to see lots of people there this Tuesday as well. Yeah, I'm super stoked. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I was speaking to that um, or moderating that panel at the uh, Health Sciences Center today and had a number of folks, some of which I knew, some of which I didn't. The strangers were saying, hey, I'm looking forward to coming on Tuesday. Uh, and so that was exciting. I think there's a lot of folks who are, have been like active, right? Like we've had, we've had, uh, my last count was like 62 volunteers in the last three weeks that have helped us text bank. And they're all like, all right, I'm new at this, but I'm really jazzed about being involved. This is kind of fun. Um, can I, like what's happening on election night? I want to be with my people. I want to be with folks who also care about the future of our state. And I was like, well, let me tell you what's happening. Come on down to the Tower Theater. We will have um, Oklahoma City Mayor David Holt, former state senator A.J. Griffin, um, local entrepreneur and, um, I guess, venture capitalist now, Erica Lucas. Um, we'll have uh, live music, as you mentioned, Cody Pruitt and the Secret Mansions. It's really just a camaraderie of a bunch of local musicians who kind of form in a band. Um, that's like full-on band, keyboard, couple of different kinds of horns. Like it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, they're all really dynamic uh, artists on their own. It'll be fun for them to be playing together. I think they're going to play a bunch of like good covers. And I'm someone who loves a good cover band. They may play some originals as well. 
Um, we'll have free food. Uh, there's a cash bar. You got to buy your own drinks, folks. We're, we're a nonprofit. We can't afford to do that. But um, the Tower, Tower Theater does have an excellent bar, and it should be an absolute blast. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Scott, what are you going to wear? Should we talk about this off the air? I'm not. Yeah, uh, yeah. Dress code. Dress code off the. I uh, will have to. I I had some thoughts, but uh, I want to. I, I wanted to confer with you. All right, sounds good. Well, we'll talk about that off the air. Audience, uh, listeners, you wear whatever the hell you want. That's fine. It's a, a laid back atmosphere. We'll have uh, pizza. We'll have some sliders, chicken, fish. Maybe not fish. Maybe fish. I don't know. Chicken burgers and some other kind of sandwiches. Um, it'll be a good time. Garlic knots, you know, stuff like that. Easily consumable food that you will enjoy to keep you, you know, if you need, if for those of you who need to eat to fill your anxiety a little bit during the election results, we got you. All right. Well, um, listeners, thanks for hanging with us for another year. Um, we'll probably do one, at least one episode post election when we take a break for the holiday season. Uh, and then we'll be looking forward to bill filing, which begins November 15th. We'll be looking forward to the start of a legislative session in February, the inauguration of whomever the governor, governor is next. That will be in January. It'll be a really exciting time to be an Oklahoman and to be interested in this. And perhaps most importantly, at least more importantly, is that 2023 is not an off year, right? It is not, it is not, not an election year. There are city council elections in February. There is a statewide um, question, right? For uh, recreational use marijuana in March. There's the session in February through May. Things are happening and we are continuing to scale up, right? We've got more opportunities for you to be involved, more ways, um, and we need your help. Like it's not about us as much as it's about you. We need you to um, to lean in a little bit and together we can really make a difference in Oklahoma. All right. On that note, that brings us to the end of the episode. Scott, thanks for being here, man. Always. Bailey had to hop off a few minutes ago for another call. Uh, listeners, thank you for being here as well. As we say every week, decisions are made by those who show up. Don't forget to vote if you haven't already. And uh, we'll see you on election night at the Tower Theater. Doors at 6, show at 6.30. Have a good weekend.